שנה טובה, גמר חתימה טובה, חג שמח. We are approaching Yom Kippur, and I want to wish you all a happy new year. Rosh Hashanah has passed, and it is now 5783. Gamal Chatimatova is the salutation, the greeting prior to Yom Kippur, which means may you be complete, completely sealed, I believe, complete, Gamal, complete, Ligmol is to complete, Chatima is sealed, uh, Tova for good. So may you be sealed for good. And you can also say umetuka, which is sweet. And shana tova is, you know, happy new year. You can also say that for quite a while. So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we are starting our second season. So we've done a full cycle starting uh, 5782. Uh, for Rosh Hashanah, we did uh, episodes for Rosh Hashanah. We did episodes about the Yamim Noaim, about Yom Kippur, about Sukkot, and every part of Sukkot from Sukkot Day One, Sukkot Chol Hamoed, Sukkot uh, Hoshana Rabbah. The seventh day of Sukkot is Hoshana Rabbah. I believe we covered Shemini Atzeret and Simchat Torah, and into the cycle of the months and uh unfortunately we didn't finish all the months i think we stopped with uh nissan so this year we will pick up and cover iyar uh, sivan tammuz av and ilul but all that got interrupted because we did the 29 days of ilul and i still need to discover why how we come up with 40 days of repentance if Elul only has 29 days and Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur is 10 days, that brings you to 39. So anyway, um, I will hopefully have you an answer by the end of the week. And some upcoming episodes, God willing, are going to be on the Haftarah. So this year, our effort, our goal is to do one episode per week, uh, probably short, you know, probably 20 to 30 minutes maximum on the Haftarah. Just remember, Haftarah does not mean half Torah. It is a completely different spelling. It is hey, pay, tet, resh, hey, and Torah is tavav, resh, hey. So completely different spelling. Uh, Haftarah is the same uh, root as maftir, which is the additional portion, which is read uh, the last portion called the maftir. If you look in a Jewish publication of uh, the, the Torah, or what's also called the Chumash, you'll see that there's a section called maftir, and that is uh, repeated specifically for the blessings of the person who's going to read the haftarah, so they get to read the blessings uh, for the Torah, and then it they get the last um, aliyah at um, uh, at the reading of the Torah on Shabbat, and then they um, come up. They're called up to read the Haftarah. Uh, that's a little different. The Haftarah is, you know, from the Nevi'im, from the prophets, and they'll read it with the vowels. They don't read it um, from a scroll. It's read from from a book, and you can witness that any Shabbat that you go to in a conservative or orthodox synagogue. But without further ado, let's get to the point at hand. We need to finish. We need to uh, 
connect last year to this year. And to do that, uh, we are going to do part two right now of the last 75 Psalms, the second half of the book of Psalms. So we're going to complete what we started at the end of 5782. And we are going to go through. Uh, I want to share the tradition real quick. Uh, so the tradition um, of the Baal Shem Tov was to read uh, three psalms per day. And let me get the calculation here because I worked it out so that I could explain it. So if you take uh, the first 38 days of the season of repentance from Elul 1 all the way right up to Yom Kippur, uh, you read three a day, uh, then that's 38 days times three brings you to 114. And then on the 39th and 40 day, which is the day before Yom Kippur and Yom Kippur itself, you read the last 36 Psalms, I believe is how it works. The math works, so not exactly sure what days, but it would seem to, to uh, allow you that if you read three per day, for the first 38 days, which would include Rosh Hashanah, day one and day two, that would take you all the way up to uh, Elul 9, I'm sorry, Tishri 9 and 10, which is Yom Kippur Eve and Yom Kippur itself. And that would bring you through all 150 Psalms for the entire season of repentance of Teshuvah from Elul 1 to Yom Kippur. Uh, all right, so... That is, uh, so if you've been reading, it's kind of like an apple a day, keeps the doctor away, right? Well, if you if you try to eat like 30 apples at the end of the month, I mean, it's just like no way. I mean, anybody's going to be able to do that and feel okay. So uh, it's just a practice that I think is amazing because one, the rabbis say, the sages say that the Psalms are great for anxiety, anger, impatience, uh, procrastination, for all these vices, for all these essentially really uh, things that provoke you from the dark side, you know, your Yitzhahara, to quiet your Yitzhahara, your evil inclination, to quiet uh, or, or banish uh, demon, demonic influence from, you know, unclean spirits. So, and on other things, you know, it could be depression, it could be anxiety, sleeplessness, um, it could be, you know, any of the opposite of the fruit of the spirit. So whatever the opposite of joy is, uh, you know, uh, anxiety or anger, peace, um, you know, uh, consternation, um, love, you know, joy, peace, love. Those are the first three fruit of the spirit. Uh, opposite of love is hate, um, mercy. Um, wow, what's the opposite of mercy? Lack of compassion, apathy, uh, Joy, peace, love, mercy, kindness, you know, opposite of kindness would be, I guess, you know, cruelty, uh, God forbid, um, joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, patience. Well, that's easy, impatience and uh, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. So, you know, opposite of gentleness would be harshness, opposite of faithfulness would be unfaithfulness and the opposite of uh, self-control would be, uh, I guess, lack of self-control, impulsiveness. Um, so. If you're feeling any of those negative sides, you know, like from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil versus the tree of life, the Psalms can bring you 
back to tree of life focus versus tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So when you're dealing with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, like Adam and Chava went to eat from, you're you're dealing with black and white. You're dealing with the the opposite of the spirit. You know, it's more of the flesh. It's more of the world. It's more um, earth and the world. When you ascend to a tree of life, you can you can look out over the the physical. You can look over and above and see into the heavenly realm and connect with the Holy Spirit and connect with what Hashem is saying to you at any given point in your day, in your week, in your month, in your year. So Psalms will help you to do that. Tehilim means, I believe, praises. It comes from the root he lamed lamed, halal, to, to praise. Uh, well, Yehuda, it means praiser, so Yahad is also to praise, but Hallel uh, is, is praises. Tehilim is like songs of praise, uh, for lack of a better, you know, more literal translation. So without further delay, uh, I know I already said that. So let's get over to the second half of the psalm so due to time like i said in the last episode i'm going to read i'm going to read descriptions from chabad.org of each psalm now not everyone has not every single psalm has a description they skip some so in that case i'll just read the psalm itself if it's short enough and that's usually why there's no description because it's just so short it describes itself so I believe we left off with 75 in the last broadcast. So we're going to go with, start with 76. So here we go. 76. This psalm contains a prophecy of when the vast army of Sennacherib was seized with a deep slumber that rendered the hands of the soldiers powerless to raise their weapons. Thus did they all fall in battle. Psalm 77. I'm just going to read it because it's so short. For the conductor on the Yedutun by Asaf Assam. I raise my voice to God and cry out. I raise my voice to God and he will listen to me. On the day of my distress, I sought my Lord. My wound oozes at night and does not abate. My soul refuses to be consoled. I remember God and I moan. I speak and my spirit faints. Selah. You grasped my, you grasped my eyelids. I am broken. I cannot speak. Kind of a bizarre psalm when it's read in especially that translation. So Asaf, just to let you know, was a 5th century BCE character from the Bible. A, per, a real person, obviously, not a fictional character. He was a Levite singer who lived through dis- the destruction of the temple and authored many chapters of the book of Psalms. All right. Moving right along. Psalm, that was Psalm 77, 78. This psalm recounts all the miracles that God wrought for Israel from the exodus of Egypt to David's becoming king over Israel. Psalm 79. In this psalm, Asaph thanks God for sparing the people and directing his wrath upon the wooden stones of the temple. Still, he cries bitterly, mourning the immense destruction. The place where the high priest alone was allowed to enter and only on Yom Kippur is now so desolate that foxes stroll through it. Psalm 80, an awe-inspiring prayer, imploring God to draw near to us as in days of old. 81, this psalm was chanted in the Holy Temple on Rosh Hashanah. 
a day on which many miracles were wrought for Israel. You know what? I want to jump in here real quick. This psalm is actually said every... No, I take it back. Yeah. Yeah, this psalm is said every Thursday in the minion service on um, the during the weekday service. This is the, the psalm of the day for Thursday. Now, the reason that they say it took place on Rosh Hashanah is because of what it says. It, it uh, talks about the shofar, and it says, blow the shofar on the new month. And it says, on the designated day of our holy day, it is a decree for Israel. So it says, at the new moon, and then it says, at the concealed moon. So I believe, I have to check the commentary, but I believe that is um, a Hebrew parallelism and the moon is only concealed and the shofar blown on Rosh Hashanah, not any of the other 11 months. And um, according to tradition, based on this psalm, uh, Yosef, Joseph, was released from prison on Rosh Hashanah. Okay. So let's jump back to the descriptions. So Psalm 81, that was Psalm 81. Psalm 82. This psalm admonishes those judges who fake ignorance of the law, dealing unjustly with the pauper or the orphan while coddling or supporting the rich and pocketing their bribes. 83. A prayer regarding the wars against Israel and the days of Jehoshaphat when the nations plotted against Israel. 84. In this psalm of prayers and entreaties, the psalmist mourns bitterly over the destruction of the temple from the depths of his heart and speaks of many blessings that will be realized upon its restoration. Fortunate is the one who trusts it will be rebuilt and does not despair in the face of this long exile. Interestingly enough, Psalm 84, um, starting with Sunday. So Psalm 84 is one of the psalms of the day during the week. So it's read um, every week once a week in the prayer service on, uh, let's see, Sunday is Psalm 24, Monday is Psalm 48, um, Tuesday is Psalm 82, Wednesday is Psalm 94 through the beginning of 95, Thursday, I take it back, I was wrong, it's not 84, I apologize, Uh, and uh, I'll keep going. I was mistaken. Uh, Okay, Psalm 84 in this Psalm of Prayers and Entreaties. Okay, I read that. Psalm 85. In this prayer, lamenting the long and bitter exile, the psalmist asks why this exile is longer than the previous ones and implores God to quickly fulfill his promise to redeem us. Every individual should offer this psalm when in distress. So let me pause right here and finish that thought. In case you're wondering what the psalms of the day are for the week, uh, it goes like this. Uh, Sunday 24, Monday 48, Tuesday 82, Wednesday Psalm 94 through the first part of 95. I don't remember how many verses in, maybe five verses. Um, That's Wednesday. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday is Psalm 81, which we just covered about Joseph and Rosh Hashanah. And Psalm 93, I believe, is read Friday morning. And then Psalm 92. 
two is literally, and we're going to get to that in a second, but you'll see why that is read on Shabbat. Um, and also I believe on, uh, high Sabbaths, like, so festivals, I believe, but, uh, definitely the weekly Shabbat read every, every Shabbat. Okay. So Psalm 84 in this prayer of Psalms and prayer of Psalm of prayers and entreaties, the psalmist mourns bitterly over the destruction of the temple from the depths of his heart and speaks of the many blessings that will be realized upon its restoration. Okay, I read that. And Psalm 85, uh, let's see. Um, in this prayer, lamenting the long and bitter exile, the psalmist asks why the exile is longer than the previous ones and implores God to quickly fulfill his promise to redeem us. Every individual should offer this psalm when in distress. So that's interesting. Psalm 85, a psalm for distress. I think I already read that, but may have repeated myself. Psalm 86, this psalm contains many prayers regarding David's troubles and his enemies, Doeg and Ahitophel. It also includes many descriptions of God's praise. Every individual can offer this psalm when in distress. So that's two that they're saying you should say when in distress. All right, Psalm 87, composed to be sung in the temple, this psalm praises the glory of Jerusalem a city that produces many great scholars, eminent personalities, eminent personalities, and persons of good deeds. It also speaks of the good that will occur in the Messianic era. Psalm 88. The psalmist weeps and laments bitterly over the maladies and suffering Israel endures in exile. This he describes in detail. Psalm 89. This psalm speaks of the kingship of the house of David, the psalmist lamenting its fall from power for many years and God's abandonment and spurning of us. All right, so that I believe is the end, yes, of book three. So we are going into book four, the second to last book, which covers Psalm 90 through 106. And then we'll cover 107, uh, book five, which is Psalms one, Psalm 107. To 150. All right, Psalm 90. David found this prayer in its present form, receiving a tradition attributing it to Moses. The Midrash attributes the next 11 Psalms to Moses, according to Rashi, and incorporated it into the Tehillim. It speaks of the brevity of human life and ignore, inspires man to repent and avoid pride in this world. All right. Now, Psalm 90 is uh, very well known for verse 4, where it says, A day to you. Well, let's just read it. Uh, Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. My Lord, you have been a shelter for us in every generation. Well, if, if Moses is praying, if it's a prayer of Moses, the man of God, and his first words are, my Lord, well, who's he talking to throughout the psalm? It's going to be God, right? So... You have been a shelter for us in every generation before the mountains came into being. Before you created the earth and the world forever and ever, you are almighty God. You diminish man until he's crushed and you say, return, you children of man. Indeed, a thousand years are in your eyes like yesterday that is past, like a watch of the night. So this first part, the sages say that God has a timetable of seven days and each day to the Lord 
is a thousand years. We also see this, I believe, in 1 Peter 3.8, which I'm not going to jump over because we got to get through the Psalms. But uh, let me see if it's, I always forget this, if it's 1 Peter 3.8 or 2 Peter 3.8. Let's see if I was right. 1 Peter 3.8. Uh, nope, I think it's 2 Peter 3.8. So I'll just read it real quick, and then you can read it more on your own. But he's quoting, yeah, 2 Peter 3, eight. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And um, let me just read the whole, the whole um, context. So jumping over here, and I'm going to try to change the version here so I get a version that I like. Um, I'm going to read from the complete Jewish Bible. All right. Uh, dear friends, I'm writing you now. Okay, so verse 8. Moreover, dear friends, do not ignore this with the Lord. One day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some think of slowness. I've always wondered why he said that, as some people think of slowness. Meaning, I guess it's relative. Like, we think God's slow, but in reality, it's not. On the contrary, he's patient with us or with you, for it is not his purpose that anyone should be destroyed, but that everyone should turn from his sins. Now it says his desire is, is that, or his purpose doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. However, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, people misquote this all the time. On that day, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will melt and disintegrate, and everything, the earth and everything in it will be burned up. Okay, so he doesn't say the Lord's going to come like a thief. He says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So Yeshua is not the beloved thief. Like, I don't know, some Messianic Jewish program had a book called The Beloved Thief. Well, the, the beloved thief would be like saying the day of the Lord is beloved. Well, I, I, so I think that's a very bad interpretation because it just simply doesn't say that. It says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then he says, since everything is going to be destroyed like this, what kind of people should you be? You should lead holy and godly lives as you wait for the day of God and work to hasten its coming. What does that mean? So that goes into a whole idea of tikkun ha'olam. So you can look up what tikkun ha'olam is, and that's restoration or repair of the world. And we all have our job to do to put the world back together through mitzvot, tzedakah, chesed, tefillah, um, and gemilut chasadim, and those are uh, uh, tefillah is prayer, uh, chesed is mercy, uh, and tzedakah is charity, and uh, right, you know, mitzvot, righteous acts, you know, fulfilling the mitzvot, doing good deeds, and gemilut chasadim is uh, random acts of kindness. Maybe not random, I added random, but acts of kindness, you know, and, and it could be random. So uh, as you wait for the day of God, this is verse 12, and work taste and it's coming. That day will bring on the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt from the heat. But we following, he says, but we following along with his promise, wait for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will be at home. Therefore, dear friends, as you look for these things. So if you look for them, it means that you're going to get an idea, I believe, of when to anticipate them. You're not going to know the exact day and hour necessarily, but, and that goes into a whole thing we could spend hours on about Rosh Hashanah being a, a one long day. And there's a, an interesting Aramaic phrase. I think it's like, uh, Yam, uh, has, uh, Arichat, uh, Yamin Arichat, one long day. I might be pronouncing that wrong, but, um, I can look that up, but 
he says in verse 14, therefore, dear, dear friends, as you look for these things, do everything you can to be found by him without spot or defect and at peace. And think of our Lord's patience as deliverance, just as our dear brother Shaul also wrote you, following the wisdom God gave him. He speaks about these things in all his letters. They contain some things that are hard to understand, things which uninstructed and unstable people distort to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. But you, dear friends, since you know this in advance, guard yourselves so that you will not be led away by the errors of the wicked and fall from your own secure position. And keep growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and deliver Yeshua the Messiah. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So that's the end of the book. So basically, you know, and there, there's another place, I believe, where the author, whether it's Paul or whether it's one of the other apostles' writings, uh, says that, but you know that about the day of the Lord. So it shouldn't come to you like a thief. And I, I'm just not positive where that is um but um it may be a different translation of this chapter but anyway i'm way off in left field and i apologize i just got excited about that so let's go back to our psalms uh, summary psalm summary everybody likes alliteration huh so uh, that was Psalm 90, verse 4. It's 17 verses, so we don't have time to read the whole thing. This is going to be a longer a longer episode than I had anticipated. So Psalm uh, that was Psalm 90. Uh, David found, let me just read the description again because I'm not sure I finished it. Uh, it uh, let's see. Sorry. David found this prayer in its present form, receiving a tradition, attributing it to Moses. Midrash attributes the next 11 Psalms to Moshe and incorporating it into the, and he incorporated it into the Tehillim. It speaks of the brevity of human life and inspires man to repent and avoid pride in this world. Okay. I think I already read that twice. Psalm 91. This Psalm inspires the hearts of the people to seek shelter under the wings of the divine presence, it also speaks of the four seasons of the year and their respective ministering powers. Interesting. Instructing those who safeguard their souls to avoid them. Meaning, I guess, the ministering powers. So that's interesting. It's a 16-verse psalm. So, Oh, and this is one that uh, Hasatan tried to quote to Yeshua to get him jump off the highest point at the temple. In verse 11, he says, For he will instruct his angels in your behalf to guard you in all your ways. They will carry you in their hands, lest you injure your foot upon a rock. So that's Psalm 91. Hasatan, the devil, used that, trying to get Yeshua to relinquish his claim to God's throne and be the false messiah so we never talked actually i've never even thought about that hasatan was trying to get him to leave his messiahship and become his messiah his satanic messiah and he, he said you want to rule the world i'll give you the world all right so let's go on to the next psalm all right so the next psalm is Psalm 92, sung every Shabbat by the Levites in the Holy Temple. This psalm speaks of the world to come and comforts the hearts of those crushed by suffering. So that's the answer to the question, which psalm is read every Shabbat? 
Psalm 92. All right, Psalm 93. This psalm speaks of the Messianic era when God will don grandeur. He will wear, put on, uh, like clothing, grandeur, allowing no room for man to boast before him, as did Nebuchadnezzar, Pharaoh, and Sennacherib. Uh, an awe okay, Psalm 94, an awe-inspiring and wondrous prayer with, with which every individual can pray for the redemption. It is also an important moral teaching. Psalm 95, this psalm speaks of the future when man will say to his fellow, come, let us sing and offer praise to God for the miracles he has performed for us. 96, this, the time will yet come when man will say to his fellow, come, let us sing to God. Psalm 97 must be really short because it doesn't have a description, so I'll just read it. When the Lord will reveal his kingship, the earth will exult, the multitudes of islands will rejoice, clouds and dense darkness will surround him, justice and mercy will be the foundation of his throne. Sounds like a messianic um, prophecy. Fire will go before him and consume his foes all around. His lightnings will illumine, illuminate the world. The earth will see and tremble. The mountains will melt like wax before the Lord, before the master of all the earth. All right. Psalm 95. No, I apologize. We already did that. Psalm 97. That was one we just read. Psalm 98. The psalm, this psalm describes how Israel will praise God for the redemption. Psalm 99. This psalm refers to the wars of Gog and Magog, which will precede the redemption with a capital R. Psalm, 9, psalm 100. This psalm inspires the hearts of those who suffer in this world. Let them nevertheless serve God with joy. For all is for their good, as in the verse. He whom God loves, does he chastise. That's quoted in Hebrews, uh, by the way. Uh, this psalm also refers to the Thanksgiving sacrifice or offering. Um, sacrifice, some rabbis call it the S word. Uh, sacrifice is not a good translation. Offering is a better translation because the word is korban in Hebrew. Kof, resh, bet, nun. And it means to bring near. So the offerer literally comes closer to God by bringing the animal. And emotionally, mentally, spiritually, they come closer because they have to see this animal lose its life. And then they have to, They it, it's like a full-scale, full-blown, powerful, audio-visual like you know 3d reality check because this animal whether it's a bird or a um a, you know a, a mammal four-legged animal um that's kosher for offering it loses its life because of some kind of either uncleanness you contracted unintentionally or in you know well intentionally i don't that's probably not relevant but you you contract some sort of uncleanness um like yeshua's parents had to bring an offering miriam the mother of yeshua would have had to bring an offering uh because she's she experienced uh the she experienced death after the birth of the baby uh and that's what it's called ritual, ritually anyway uh a woman uh, after she has her cycle has to go into the mikvah uh, according to halakha and so that's another like uh, effect of death she's shedding uh, the lining of the uterus and that's um, a death because an egg wasn't fertilized so anyway um, all that to say korban draws the offerer near whether it's um, a, uh, a like an 
a sinful act or just um, coming to reconnect with God after experiencing the effects of death, um, some kind of you know body function because you know we're all we're all dying right we're all one day closer to death every every day and uh, we live in a fractured world so these things draw us closer to god because it reminds us that yeshua had to die for us to live all right sorry too many segues let's just go ahead and crank through these chapter 100 this psalm inspires the hearts of oh, okay i already read that so uh, psalm 101 this psalm speaks of david secluding himself from others and of his virtuous conduct even in his own home okay so something really amazing that i learned in this psalm uh, a few years ago was i heard a sermon that talked about this verse uh, let me see um, chap uh, verse six my eyes are upon the faithful of the land they may dwell with me he who walks in the path of integrity he shall minister. Okay, that must not be the same translation that I read because Psalm 101, one of the translations, it says, I, okay, sorry, verse three, I shall not place an evil thing or any unclean thing before my eyes. I despise the doing of wayward deeds. It does not cling to me. So that shows me something that we have the ability to prevent a lot of things from going into our brain, our heart, our soul by just not looking at it, not, you know, praying about what movies to watch, praying about what TV shows you watch, praying about what books you read, but especially visual stuff, praying about what kind of magazines or pictures you're going to look at, you know, being mindful. If something doesn't feel right, you can always go back and look at it later if you feel like, you know, it's going to be okay, but it's real hard to unsee stuff. It's pretty much impossible. So you have to just pray that God cleanses your mind and your memory of things. But that doesn't come easily. Better not to see it in the first place if you can avoid it. So I shall not place an evil thing or any unclean thing before my eyes. I, despite the doing of wayward deeds, is that does not cling to me. So that shows me that wayward deeds cling to us. The doing of wayward deeds causes something negative to cling to us. Okay, so moving right along, Psalm 102. An awe-inspiring prayer for the exiled and an appropriate prayer for anyone in distress. Psalm 103, David's prayer when he was ill. This psalm is an appropriate prayer on behalf of the sick, especially when offered by the sick person himself while his soul is yet in his body, <clears throat> excuse me, he can bless God from his depths, body, and soul. Read and find repose for your soul. Psalm 104. This psalm tells of the beauty of creation, describing that which was created on each of the six days of creation. Huh, I didn't know that. Oh, and Psalm 104, I believe, is the psalm we read for Rosh Chodesh. It proclaims the awesomeness of God who sustains it all from the horns of the wild goat Sorry, wild ox to the eggs of the louse. Wow, that's gross. Psalm 105. When David brought the holy ark up to the city of David, he composed this psalm and sang it before the ark. He recounts all the miracles that God performed for the Jews in Egypt, for Israel in Egypt, and sending before them Yosef, who was in prison, only to be liberated by God. 
eventually attaining the status of one who could imprison the princes of Egypt without consulting Pharaoh. Psalm 106. I'm not sure what that last part means. Uh, imprison the princes of Egypt without consulting Pharaoh. Meaning, I guess he was so high, he didn't answer to anybody but Pharaoh. And Pharaoh trusted him implicitly with all of his affairs, which we do read in the scripture. Uh, similar to how Potiphar trusted him and then his wife ruined everything. But it says God meant it for good. And so... She didn't really ruin it. She just didn't mean well. But anyway, Psalm 106. The psalmist continues the theme of the previous psalm, praising God for performing other miracles not mentioned previously. For who can recount the mighty acts of God? Were we to try, we could not mention them all. All right. So we're going to book five, I believe, because that was the end of Psalm, uh, Psalms book four. So Psalms divided in five books. So Psalm book four, Psalms book four was chapter 90 through 106. All right. So book five, this is going to cover 107 to 150. All right. So this is a longer book, 34 chapters. No, I apologize. 44. Psalm 107 speaks of those who are saved from four specific perilous situations, imprisonment, sickness, desert travel, and sea travel. And we must thank God for their sins caused their troubles, not only by the kindness of God where they saved, it is therefore appropriate that they praise God and tell their salvation to all. Psalm 108, no description. It is five verses. A song, a psalm of David. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and chant praises even with my soul. Awake, O lyre and harp. I shall awaken the dawn. I'm going to insert my commentary here, meaning the dawn does not wake David Melech. David Melech wakes the dawn up. I will thank you among the nations, Lord. I will sing praises to you among the peoples. Indeed, your kindness reaches above the heavens. Your truth reaches to the skies. It's a beautiful song. If you ever get the music for it. All right. Uh, let's see. Sorry, folks. Some little delay here come on now all right psalm 109 david composed this psalm while fleeing from shaul at the time he faced many enemies who despite acting friendly in his presence spoke only evil of him wow sounds familiar it's really awful when you think you can trust people and then they turn around and speak evil of you if for no other reason just because they have nothing better to do or because they really don't care about you and the opposite they they have disdain for you they hate you if they gossip about you that's not love it's it's hate so you know choose your friends wisely and let you let yourself get to know them let them get to know you before you worry about how much you can trust them you know be be sparing with your trust i believe is one of the things this says until you get to know the character of people and it also connects with Proverbs 4.23. I'll let you read that on your own. Proverbs 4.23. Chapter 110. This psalm records the response of Eliezer, servant of Abraham. Wow. To those who asked how Abraham managed to defeat the four kings, he tells of Abraham killing the mighty kings and their armies. Read and you will discover that the entire psalm refers to Abraham. Abraham, who, mentioned, who merited prominence for for recognizing God in his youth. Okay. 
Psalm 111. This psalm is written in alphabetical sequence. Each verse contains two letters, save the last two verses, which contain three letters each. The psalm is short yet prominent, speaking of the works of God and and their and their greatness. Psalm 112. This psalm, too, follows alphabetical sequence, each verse containing two letters, save the last two, which contain three letters each. It speaks of the good traits man should choose and how to give charity the work, the reward for which is never having to rely on others. Okay, that, sorry, I was a little confused by the wording. How to give charity the reward for which is never having to rely on others. Chapter 113, this psalm recounts some of the wonders of the exodus from Egypt. Chapter 114, this psalm explains why the tribe of Judah merited kingship. 115, a prayer that God bring this long exile to an end for the sake of his name, that it not be desecrated. 116. This psalm contains magnificent praises to God. It also describes God's love for David's love for God in light of all the miracles he performed for him. David does not know how to repay God, declaring it impossible to pay back for all God has done for him. And that, of course, is David Melech, King David. The psalm, okay, Psalm 117. This psalm of two verses alludes to the messianic era when the children of God will enjoy their formal glory. All will praise God in fulfillment of the verse. All then will call in the name of God. Psalm 118. This psalm describes David's immense trust in God. It also contains many praises to God who has fulfilled that which he has promised to us. Psalm 119. Okay, this is the longest psalm, maybe the longest chapter in the entire Bible. Um, I have to check that, but I'm pretty sure it is. Psalm 119. Here's a description. David composed this prominent psalm in alphabetical sequence, eight verses for each letter. Every verse contains one of the following words, re referring to different aspects of Torah. Way, Torah, precept, uh, testimony, commandment, and statute. Sorry, statement. Translated here as word or promise. Word, a judgment or laws, righteousness, and statute. Replete with morals and prayers, this psalm should be recited daily as a powerful preparation for the service of God. In verses beginning with one of the letters of the mnemonic, Peretz ben Dama, the word Adotecha is pronounced Eidvotecha. Okay, so I don't know what it's talking about there, except that Peretz ben Dama must have something to do with the way that the Jews... That's a, a maybe a a deeper understanding that I I've never heard before. So uh, Peretz ben Dama means Peretz son of blood. So I have to check into that and get back to you if I can find it. So chapter one twenty. This psalm rebukes slanders, describing how the deadly effect of slander reaches even further than weapons. Wow. And when we get back to our series on Lashon Hara, we'll have to come back to Psalm 120. 121. This psalm alludes to the lower paradise from which one ascends to the higher paradise. It also speaks of how God watches over us. Psalm 122. The psalmist sings the praises of Yerushalayim and tells of the miracles that happened there. Psalm 123. The psalmist laments the length of time we have already suffered in exile. 
124 and 125 don't have a description. Uh, Psalm 126 speaks of the future, comparing our divine service in exile to one who sows arid land, then, uh, then cries and begs God to send rain upon it so that the seed will not be wasted. When he merits to reap the crop, he offers thanks to God. Psalm 127, King David instructs his generation and especially his son Solomon to be sure that all one's actions be for the sake of heaven. He also criticizes those who toil day and night in pursuit of a livelihood. All right. Let's see. 128. This psalm extols one who enjoys the fruits of his own labor, avoiding theft and deception, even refusing gifts. It also describes behavior appropriate to the God-fearing. 129. This psalmist laments the troubles of Israel. 130. This psalmist prays for an end to this long exile. 131. In this prayer, David declares that never in the course of his life was he haughty, nor did he pursue greatness or worldly pleasures. All right, Psalm 132. David composed this psalm while he and the elders of Israel wore sackcloth in mourning over the plague that had descended upon the land and their being distant from the holy temple. David therefore offers intense prayers, entering God, entreating God, sorry, to remember the hardship and sacrifice he endured for the sake of the temple 133 has no description 134 we're um, 17 away from the end friends the psalmist exhorts the scholarly and pious to rise from their beds at night and go to the house of god 135 has no description 136 the psalm contains 26 verses corresponding to the 26 generations between the creation of the world and the giving of the torah that's fascinating Psalm 137. Now, this is said as part of the Birkat Hamazon um, on Shabbat. I'm not sure if it's said um, on other days because the Birkat Hamazon is a little different when you, you say it on Shabbat. Uh, it has some added portions. But be that as it may, Psalm 137 refers to the time of the destruction of the temple. This tells when Nebuchadnezzar would ask the would ask the Levites to sing in captivity as they had in the temple, to which they would reply, how can we sing the song of God upon alien soil? They were then comforted by divine inspiration. 138, David offers awesome prayers to God for his, let's see, I apologize. Uh, lost my place. David offers awesome praises to God for his kindness to him and for fulfilling his promise to grant him kingship. 139, a most prominent psalm that it guides man in the ways of God as no other in all of the five books of Tehillim. Fortunate is he who recites it daily. 140, uh, let's see. David composed this psalm against his slanderers, especially the chief conspirator, Doeg. Anyone, confront, anyone confronted by slanderers should recite this psalm. Very good, very good. All right. Psalm 141. This psalm teaches an important lesson. One should pray for divine assistance that his mouth not speak that which is not in his heart. The gatekeeper only allows the gate to be open for a purpose. Let it all be the same with one's lips. Wow, that's powerful. Powerful illusion there. Powerful allegory. That's really amazing. Uh, 
David composed, oh, Psalm 142, we're approaching the end, friends. David composed this psalm while hiding from Shaul in a cave, at which time he had cut off the corner of Shaul's garment to prove that he was able to kill him, but did not wish to do so. He declared, where can I turn and where can I run? All I have to cry is to you. All I have to, all I have is to cry out to you. Psalm 143, no description. 144, after triumphing in all his wars, David composed this psalm in praise of God. Psalm 145. Okay, here we go. All right, Psalm 145. One who recites this psalm three times daily with absolute concentration is guaranteed a portion in the world to come. Because of its prominence, this psalm was composed in alphabetical sequence. So it probably has another acrostic. And if you are not familiar with what an acrostic is, an acrostic is a poem that starts with a certain letter and the next verse starts with another letter and the third verse starts with you know some third letter and it forms a word so uh, if you look up acrostic online a c r o s t i c i'm sure it'll give you an example and you can see what i mean if you read hebrew just go find these psalms in the hebrew uh text and then you can see you can spell the the word that the first letter of each line is spelling. But it's harder if you don't know Hebrew. It's not going to be clear. So uh, Psalm 147. This psalm recounts God's greatness and his kindness and goodness to his creations. 148. The psalmist inspires one to praise God for his creations above and below, all of which exist by God's might alone. 149 has no description. Let's see how how short it is. Ah, it's just five verses. Uh, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Recount his praise in the assembly of the pious. Israel will rejoin its master. In it, Rejoice in its master. The children of Zion will delight in their king. They will praise his name with dancing. They will sing to him with the drum and harp. For the Lord desires his people. He will humble. He will adore. Sorry, he will adorn the humble with salvation. Verse five, last verse. The pious will exult in glory. They will sing upon their beds. Oh, I'm sorry. Five more verses. The exaltation of God is in their throat and a double-edged sword in their hand to bring retribution upon the nations and punishment upon the, upon the peoples to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with iron fetters uh, to execute them Let's see, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with iron fetters, to execute upon them the prescribed judgment, it shall be a glory for all his pious ones. Praise the Lord. All right, last one, Psalm 150. Give me a second here, get back to the description. All right, yep, Psalm 149 had no description. Psalm 150, we're finished. This psalm contains 13 praises, alluding to the 13 attributes of mercy with which God conducts the world. And that is a beautiful psalm, sung every, uh, every day in the prayer service, Sunday through Friday. And I believe we sing it also on, on Shabbat as part of the Psuke uh, de Zimra. Um, or the the next part as part of the the Kriyat Hashemah blessing. I believe it's in the Psuke de Zimra. I have to look it up, but 
anyway, I apologize. I'm not, uh, I don't have the whole prayer service memorized yet, but the more you go through it, the more you know. All right, friends. Well, this turned into a longer episode than I thought, but you know, just a little bit, you know, less structured, a little bit, uh, you know, we had so much going on during Elul and into the Yamim Noraim, the Days of Awe. So I uh, wanted to make this a little bit lighter and just a little bit less structured. So I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing summaries of the Psalms. Uh, and hopefully it'll encourage you to check out the Psalms, to try to read through Psalms once a year. It's very edifying and there's a lot there, as you can see. Uh, I learned things through just reading the descriptions from an Orthodox Jewish website that I had no idea uh, were part of the Psalms. And so understanding the history, the culture, the sociology, the archaeology, the geography, all the Afis uh, and the Ajis, just kidding, uh, knowing who Israel and the Jewish people are is essential to understanding Yeshua, our Messiah. And we never want to close our episode without inviting you to make Yeshua the Lord of your life and ask the Lord to bring your spirit, to resurrect your spirit. If you haven't ever had that experience, ask the Lord to resurrect and bring to life your spirit by his spirit, by igniting it with the Holy Spirit, because Yeshua is our atoning offering, our final and ultimate offering for eternal life to atone for our sin and our sin nature. In Yeshua's name, bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he grant you peace in this new year, 5783. May it be the most successful year so far in your life. And may you be blessed and encouraged, friends. Gemar Hatimatova and Shalom.